One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. The person that I met with said, "BBC Sport doesn't employ people like you." The 2012 Formula One season has come and gone. I did feel underappreciated and underloved. And I felt like the only way to do that was to walk away and show someone else what I could do and deliver my talents. Welcome to our new home. Welcome to BT Sport. And it would have been the easiest thing in the world to stay at the Beep for another four years. But I thought, you know what? I'm not going to sit in the comfy chair. I'm going to take a risk. You're going to be on the earth for 70 years, right? You don't need to achieve everything in the first 21. The phone rang and it was a guy from the BBC and he said, I saw some of your TV show that you were working on this weekend. You're a shining star in a sea of shit. Everywhere you look, you're shown perfection. What I want people to understand is that that perfection didn't come for free. is up guys and welcome back to working hard hardly working today's episode is inspiring so i hope you're ready to be inspired i was just sitting there like nodding like a little um nodding dog thing you know those yeah sure anyway honestly i just felt like it was one of those episodes that i'm going to go back and listen to when i just really need like a kick up the ass or like but also to like a nice kick up the ass that sounds horrible and also quite dodgy but like motivation in a nice friendly way i don't know i just thought that this was some of the best advice i'd kind of listened to and was just such a good conversation on the idea of success versus failure and our paths and careers and the speed we should be going at sprints versus you know a nice little jog so i hope you really enjoyed this episode I think it's a really good one personally I would say that you know it's my podcast as always please rate the podcast if you do enjoy it please share it with your friends if you do enjoy it and if not just don't let me know because it will hurt me I hope you really enjoy this episode and as always have a lovely day thanks so much for joining me to set the scene would you be able to give a little whistle-stop tour on the background of, like, who you are and kind of how you got to where you are now? But we can we can drag that bit out a little bit longer. Yeah, okay. Um, it's always hard to know how you got there, right? Mm-hmm. That's one of the challenging things. I think a lot of people will see the amazing stuff that you put out on Instagram and the incredible story of your businesses. Mm-hmm. And, and what they will, I think, maybe come to this podcast for or other podcasts like it is to to connect the dots in advance. Mm-hmm. One of the hardest things I think is that you're not able to do that. Yeah, sure. And it's only now when I think of, oh, that was a really key moment in my career or that was a moment that really had a, a long lasting impact. The truth is at the time, I had no idea. Mm. So the learning from that is just be you and give 100% to everything because you mm. you don't know when that moment's going to come. So what were the sort of moments for me? Again, they were totally disguised. Like, I always try and say this in a way that it comes across right, but I sometimes think that it feels a bit stupid to say I was the most normal person you could ever imagine Mm -hmm. because it sounds a bit too self-deprecating or that I'm trying to make a point. But Mm. what I'm trying to say is I grew up thinking you had successful people. I, You know, 30 years ago, I'd see your Instagram and go, wow, she's naturally successful, I'm naturally not. I just thought there was a secret to high performance Mm -hmm. that I wasn't exposed to or I wasn't born into wealth or anything. So 
Came from a small village in Norfolk. Dad was a charity worker. Mum was a teacher. House absolutely full of love. Probably not a house full of, like, diehard ambition. Mm -hmm. You know, they was like, go to school, get a degree if you can go to university and get a job. That was the kind of plan, really. Heavy work ethic. I had a paper round really early. I carried on doing it till I was about 16. My mum and dad were always palming me off to neighbours' houses to mow their lawn, do their gardening for, mm -hmm. like, two pounds an hour or whatever. The big moment really was, every, I was like super normal, didn't do any acting, didn't do any stuff at school, wasn't in any sports teams, failed my A-levels. That was like mm -hmm. a really big key moment for me. And that was around a time of like deep and intense failure or struggle or negative things happening. So I, mm -hmm. I worked at McDonald's and I got fired. And I know now like we can laugh and think, fired from McDonald's, how ridiculous. Yeah. But when you're 17 and all your mates work there and they come in because you can like chat to them while they're buying their food and then you have to tell them you've been sacked like that is deeply embarrassing even to go home to your parents at that age mm. and go I've been fired from a fast food restaurant mm. particularly when none of us thought like that Jake had any sort of special talents or it wasn't mm -hmm. like well, don't worry because you're great at this I didn't really have anything so I got fired from that I lost my grandma around that time she committed suicide which again is a really difficult Mm. thing to cope with mentally when you're a, when you're yeah. doing your A-levels and you're a teenager because yeah. your grandparents you feel like they've got it sorted like I mean I've, I've never experienced that so I can't I can't imagine how tough that would have been but I can also imagine conceptually you have this such like naive approach to life when you're a teenager yeah. like it's it's so sweet and naive in the way that you're like kind of of course you'd want to live and like that kind of whole approach Correct. to thinking about something so I can imagine that just being turned on its head in that moment mm. like that's a lot alongside grief conceptually for a teenager to be able to deal with the difference between someone wanting to live and someone deciding that that wasn't what they wanted to do I can imagine that just rocking your entire world yeah. grief aside you're totally right because I think like I'd already lost grandparents before mm. then there's something very different though to your mum sitting down and I remember her telling me when, like, my when my grand when my grandpa died, for example, he was ill mm -hmm. and he was in his eighties. And I remember them just sitting down and going, "Listen, we've got some news. Grandpa's died in the night." And you kind of go, "Amazing guy, amazing life. Sad, but this is you know you're told that that's the circle of life, right? When you've got a healthy, fun, amazing, dynamic, brilliant grandma who seems okay, then it is a very difficult thing to deal with. And actually, I remember it specifically difficult because about three or four days before I was doing my A-level um, revision and she came round and I remember her walking past my bedroom where I was doing my revision and she just, she did look really sad. I said, are you okay? She goes, oh, I don't know. I don't think I can carry on. I'm really just really sad. And I remember going, oh, you'll be fine, grandma. Carrying on with my, with my revision. And I'm not saying it would have made the difference if I'd have stopped and gone, mm. well, hold on a minute. But you kind of wish you had. Mm, and yeah. you do carry that. Um, so that was a, a moment for mm, sure where I learned a lot about the world. And then it wasn't long after that I failed my A-levels. So again, I had to learn not through any desire or design. I had to learn to dust myself off. Mm. So then really quickly went back to school. The day I went back to school, there was a letter from a local TV channel looking for politics students to go and work on a TV show just to offer their opinions at the weekend. I went there, explained that I'd failed my A-levels, that I was around and I was available, worked basically for free, ended up doing bits of presenting, ended up being offered a job. Was that something that, had you previously been interested no, in presenting? No, man, because that's, um, that's ambition and I didn't right, have yeah. any of that. 
And I think it's just because I was a really late developer. Like I was mm-hmm. physically a late developer, mentally a late developer. I was just like the kind of class clown, the kind of average kid at school that just made people laugh. Yeah, Not right. very popular and, you know, nothing special. Mm-hmm. So I certainly wouldn't have said, I'm going to be a TV presenter. Mm-hmm. Also like, Grace, I'm from a small village in Norfolk. Mm-hmm. Like people like me just don't be TV presenters. Or well, That's how it felt at the time. Mm. But then I got offered a job. £6,472 a year, if I remember correctly, was my starting salary. And then one day I was at work and the phone rang and it was a guy from the BBC. And he said, is that Jake Humphrey? I said, yeah. And he said, I saw some of your TV show that you were working on this weekend. You're a shining star in a sea of shit. Which I kind of... (laughs) I kind of took as a compliment. Yeah, yeah, go on. Like, as long as I was the shining star, not the sea of shit, right? Then I'm happy. Was I? Um, and he invited me down to London, and I had a few meetings. They then launched the CBBC channel. I started on that as a CBBC presenter. Like, couldn't believe it. Had this actually yeah. happened? I was a kids' TV presenter. Amazing time there. The BBC then won the rights to Formula One. Paid millions of pounds for them, and there was this feeling that they had to try and make their sports coverage a bit younger, a bit fresher. Yeah. I took that job, I got offered that job, accepted it, Incredible. obviously. How, sorry, how would. old were you at this stage? By now, so I was like the A-level failure, two or three years in telly, so I was then in my early 20s, mm-hmm. and then it was eight years at CBBC, so now I'm like 29 probably. Okay. So it was, felt quite young to get that Formula yeah. 1 job. No, that's incredible. I did that for four years, and then we can talk about this in more detail, but walked away from the Beeb, joined BT Sport, um, and then I'm now sitting here with you. In the meantime, I started a production company called The Whisper Group, which Mm -hmm. has now got about 300 staff. It's pretty successful, based in West London. I've got a podcast called High Performance, a couple of kids, an amazing wife. I live back in Norfolk, where it all started. Sometimes it's really nice just to stop and look back on all that, because you just don't do that, you know? Mm. I think one of the, as you were kind of saying earlier, one of the reasons we listen to podcasts is because we try and learn from people's mistakes or failures before we've made them ourselves and obviously there's only an element of that that you can do like you're going to make the mistakes you're Mm going to make but it feels like your story is so one of those that like of course there's serendipity in there but it's also like it feels feels like it had to happen that way like it almost feels like you and I would like in terms of like the you know being fired from McDonald's or like the A-levels or any of those things it's like in order to grow your sense of self to be at the point that you would be you know, just applying for that presenter role rather than from a point of ambition, actually from a point of kind of, well, what else am I going to do? This has just come through my door, I think is so important to look at because we kind of lots of the time see things always having to have risen from ambition at that stage and actually like trusting the process and trusting the like direction of your life in terms of like what way you're going to go, I do think is incredibly important. And I think it's hard at the moment to trust the direction because Mm. like, I'm a lot older than you. I'm in my 40s, right? So when I was growing up, thankfully, there was no social media. There was no showing off. Mm. There was no way of knowing what everyone else was doing because all it would have done is make me feel even worse and even more inferior. And that's the real challenge, I think, for people now is that everywhere you look, you're shown perfection. Mm -hmm. Now, what I want people to understand is that that perfection didn't come for free, Mm -hmm. right? You and your businesses haven't come for free. Mm. What I've done hasn't come for free. And I think now we live in a world where people, I get people not saying to me, how should I start out in television? They say, how can I get a job presenting the Champions League? Or how can I be a Formula One presenter? Or how can I present Match of the Day? And it's like, well, 
you have to do the work. Mm. And actually the truth is a lot of the work is in just the being, mm. in the doing, the failing, the trying again. And I know that there's a slight element of, well, you've been through it and you've failed and you've learned all these things. Why don't you just tell me? Yeah. But that's kind of not enough. Yeah. No, but also you like the actual experience in order to make you the person you were when you took that Formula One job. If that opportunity had been there nine years earlier or eight years earlier or whenever it is that you kind of got your first proper presenting job, you wouldn't have been in the right place to Correct. take it. Like you wouldn't have been experienced I'm, enough. You all my have mistakes been, came yeah. on this tiny channel. It's called Rapture Television. Mm. All my mistakes came there and then they came on Children's BBC. Mm -hmm. So I, I talk about it as being like a pilot getting your wings. Yeah. What people need to do is realise you need to get your like wings for life. Mm -hmm. Like you need to do all of that stuff, which can be sometimes frustrating. I mean, I remember, right, when I really wanted to be a sports presenter. I've been maybe five years on Children's BBC. I wanted to be a sports presenter, went for a meeting and explained this to them. And I thought it'd be a, like funny to say, oh, I failed my A-levels and I got fired from McDonald's. And the person that I met with, they were responsible for finding new presenters for BBC Sport. And they said, BBC Sport doesn't employ people like you. In other words, you haven't got a degree. Mm -hmm. You haven't, you're not a trained journalist. You mm -hmm. haven't played football or rugby or cricket to an elite level. You're not what we're looking for. And I think that that was actually a really brilliant message for me because it meant that I had to find another way. Now, if that had happened to me, and I hadn't done the years on Children's BBC and I hadn't had the A-level failure and I hadn't had those setbacks from McDonald's and having to deal with grief in the way that I had, I think that that would have just derailed me. Mm. But instead, it just energised me. And I thought, yeah. fine, I will absolutely show you what I should be doing. And I actually ended up getting an ISDN kit, which is the old way of sort of broadcasting from matches. And I used to earn like £100 on a Saturday to go and report for the radio, for BBC Radio. And I was on CBBC at the time where I thought my career had taken me to a certain point. Mm. And it was going right back to the beginning and saying, fine, let me show you. Yeah. So I think that's the other important takeaway is that like the work doesn't stop. Yeah. You know, you have had an amazing career, right? Mm. The truth is, if you wanted to go and totally pivot in another direction, you'd have to be humble enough to go, well, let me start at the beginning. A hundred percent. Show me where it works. Yeah. How it works. And I think one of the important messages there as well is like, I do think social media has positioned us in a way where we like we want so much instant gratification and I'll be the first person to say that because I think you can see by the speed of my career like I'm very much a like I want something and I want it now not I don't say that in like a derogatory sense I kind of like I'm very determined and I'll make something happen and I'm very like spur like I'm quite impulsive in the way that like I'll decide to do something and then spend three days making it happen or yeah. you know like back to back and through the night and all of this but I also think that like what's really important when you look at that is it's like sure you can do that but like remember careers are long and you're also by wanting something's like the chapter 20 now rather than the chapter one you're probably not giving yourself like a great backing to be able to get there like if I went back and did it again I would 100% get more formal experience in what I then wanted to do. But at the time, I wanted to make a lot of money. I wanted to do well. I wanted to grow on social media. And so, like, what I did was do anything to make that happen. But actually, realistically, I think if I'd been able to be a little more, a little slower, a little less impulsive, and a little more about building the foundations, I would have felt a lot more confident to be able to grow in the direction I needed to yeah. grow in like I think I could have learned so much from working in private equity or from working in a startup or from you know going to the production side of fashion or whatever it might be 
And I do think that there's this like, because we want this instant gratification, it's also often against our best interests. And of course I can say that now because I'm sitting in the position. But it's worked I'm out well in. for you. Though. Yeah, of course yeah. it has. But I also think that like there are also times now where I'm kind of very much like I rushed into the, like, you know, not everything at all. Like, I love the position I'm in. I think I'm in a very powerful position with, like, Tala, for example, in the way that I'm their target customer. So, yeah, sure, I am probably the best Mm. person to be sitting in that room and being like, no, we want that on the leggings. But ultimately, when it comes to some of the other things, I think I rushed it a lot because I wanted it to look like the finished product before it was there. This kind of fake it till you make it thing. And only now I'm able to kind of, like, sit here and say those things because it worked out. Whereas like I could have been sitting here and saying those things where like something had gone bankrupt or yep. like the idea hadn't worked or I didn't what I was terrible at running a company and terrible at managing people or whatever it might have been. But I think that kind of like the mistakes, the failures, but also just the experience as a whole is like so important to have in your like toolbox of like things that you could use to then confront the issues that you come and you know. And I would say mine in particular, having had like a I'd say eight-year career now would be like the grand total of it is like almost every problem I come across is like a very new problem that I I haven't had lower risk experience of if that makes sense but you're also um a great advocate for the fact there's more than one way to do something Mm -hmm. I mean I like I, I I would say that I've had a great career but quite a slow career. Mm-hmm. So I got into telly at 18, I'm still in telly at 44, and I've still got loads of things I want to do. The production company, Whisper, that I've got is has grown organically. We've never taken any funding. We've never had any mm-hmm. debt. I'm really proud with where yeah. it is. I love Incredible. the fact that it just grew slowly and it kind of grew organically. There was no mm. grand plan. And I love that. Um, even my podcast, you know, for the first year, it was just a kind of almost like a side hobby and high performance has sort of slowly become more of that. And then I see like amazing new podcasts now that are doing now what we've spent three years building mm. up to do. But I'm kind of okay with that because I think that it's really brilliant for people to see people like me that actually maybe need to take it slow, but also see people like you, your calling card, what your USP is, what your unique ability is, is like your conviction of your decision making and your energy and actually that's brilliant because we can all be really sure in our decision making even if we've got loads of doubts under the surface we Mm. can still go I'm going to decide this right that's the first thing the second thing is as long as we get enough sleep we should all have the energy yeah so I think you are massively inspirational for people in that yeah I could do with the way that Jake's done it and kind of Mm. try and find my path and try and work it out as I go or I could just literally be grace and go this is what I'm going to do because actually, I know it's easy to go, yeah, but it might not work out. Well, ne- both ways of operating may well not work out. There is no answer here. It's mm. just kind of don't overthink it. If you're an energy bunny, yeah, be yeah, super yeah. energetic. If you're a cautious, careful, slow, I need all the answers before I make a, da- a potentially dangerous decision, then be that. Yeah, 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 sure. No, I think that's incredibly it, important. Right? Yeah, like a really, really important differentiation there. And I think realistically, I never would have not done it the way I did it because yeah. that's who I am. And, yeah. that's and I bet how you still I do, do it today, right? You still go hell for leather all the time, right? Oh my God. Like, as in like, I know what's good for me and I know what's bad for yeah. me. And yet you will see me like, like I'll have an idea at 
you know, 3 a.m. and I'll make it happen by the next day and we'll all, like all wheels will yeah. be in motion and all of this. And like, it but is... that's not for everyone. No, Do you know what of I mean? course. And I, think and I think the danger is these days everyone wants to tell everyone that their way of doing it is the right way. That's, that's survivorship very true. bias and thing. I think what I don't want to happen is by me having the platform that I have, that being the only acceptable way to make that happen, which I think is what I'm trying to say by that differentiation. I also think that like being careful when you are the type of person that I am, being careful in the way that time's not going to change based on the fact that you got to success quicker. You're still then going to have that if you burn yourself out, you're going to burn yourself out and you're going to take a long time to be able to get out of that, if ever. Mm. And I feel like knowing where your downfalls in that way are very, very important because personally, I would say that I go far too fast and I do burn myself out to a, like, yeah. you know, it, and it's not, it's not good for me. And I think that like, that's all well and good me saying that sitting here and being like, you know, whatever position I'm in and then being able to be like, but don't burn yourself out. Like, you know, of You're course right. I can say that, but I do think it is also important to, you know, that's, it's not, it's definitely not always a strength. And I think just seeing the fruits of that success on social media, on my platforms or whatever, without caveating it with that and being like, you know, I don't really have balance. There's like a lot of, yeah. you know, all of those things I think is important. What what the world doesn't need mm. is another dynamic, entrepreneurial, successful, wealthy, awesome young man or young woman making everyone else feel like they're not doing enough sure that's like the worst conversation mm. that we can have yeah on my podcast on your podcast on any platform what there isn't enough of is people in other people's lives saying just take your time just enjoy it you mm. know you're going to be on the earth for 70 years right you don't need to achieve everything in the first 21 yeah, yeah, yeah. that's the risk that's yes. the danger and you know you're great at being honest and saying well it leaves me feeling burnt out it leaves me feeling anxious and stressed I sometimes don't feel I've got the toolkit because mm. I haven't lived those experiences it's a very interesting conversation because mm. I do think we laud the young early successful entrepreneur oh my god 100% and yeah. also like I think that we it it's the same with like the kind of girl boss kind of rhetoric and like all of the you know we love to see success stories that are against the norm because to us it makes us you know we're able to celebrate it more yeah. so you know young successful woman so like what like whatever it might be it's easier to celebrate that and almost not glorify it too much because i don't think the concept can be glorified too much but in terms of like giving that qualities that it doesn't actually have mm. in terms or like taking away the fact that there would be any negatives there just to celebrate that kind of specific thing which is why I think it's important to kind of be able to talk about the not so great parts yeah. not from a kind of like self-flagellating like being like oh but you know life is really hard too. it's not like it's not that it's just actually being like you know there's always going to be the flip side I want to talk about your starting up of the production company because yeah. to get a company to a point where it's got 300 team members is absolutely unbelievable when did you start that and what was the kind of idea for that I love talking about this mm. because I do believe that entrepreneurial people just they the one thing I will be really clear about is I think that they are risk takers, they are yes. gamblers, yes. they are, you know, they're constantly buying a lottery ticket, they're constantly making a bet. Now, there's a chance, and you would have been through many bets and chances in your life that haven't paid off, right? It's the one that does pay off, that, mm-hmm. is, that is the one yes. that, you, that everyone lords and is mm-hmm. excited about. But you mustn't stop taking these risks mm-hmm. just because you've had a few that don't pay off. 
So I was working in Formula One uh, between 2009 and 2012. Mm-hmm. And the BBC moved the sports department to Manchester. And I was working with this amazing guy called Sunil Patel, who is still the CEO of Whisper today. Mm-hmm. And he's one of those rare people where I'd work with great creatives and I'd work with people who are brilliant organisers. I'd never worked with someone who was hugely creative, massive ideas, but then got it done, just believed they could get it done. And Sunil was that guy. So he said he didn't really fancy going to Manchester because BBC Sport was moving from London to Manchester at the time. And with this idea of buying a lottery ticket or being a bit of a gambler, I said, well, let's just set up a production company. And now I didn't really have a grand plan for that. Mm. And again, don't think you need to put all the dots in place before you make that first decision. Just make the first decision for what it is. We didn't know we were going to be going 10 years later, turning over, you know, probably close to $100 million Mm. this year. That wasn't the plan. The plan was just, let's just set up a production company. So the two of us got together without even the name of a business. And we were lucky enough that we knew, obviously, loads of the teams in Formula One. So we went to meet with the Williams Formula One team. And we said to them, look, you love the coverage on the BBC. It was winning lots of awards at the time. The viewing figures were really high. We said, Sunil is one of the brains behind the coverage. We would love to produce your content. And we will basically produce BBC level quality. Mm-hmm. We'll do it cheaper than you've already been paying people anyway. Um, because there was a lot of people in that space at the time that were just overcharging. They weren't, you know, we didn't think giving fair quotes for the work. So we said, we will just be totally honest. We'll charge you what it costs plus 10% to cover mm-hmm. our overheads. And that's what we'll do. And Williams took a chance on us. They said, mm-hmm. okay, why don't you produce our content for the season? The two of us couldn't believe it. Yeah. I remember leaving their factory. We pulled up in a lay-by next to their factory and got out and started dancing. <laughs> And then we were like, this looks really bad if one of them comes out of the office yeah, and sees us dancing yeah, in a label. Sure. So then we started driving back and we were like, we, we don't even have a name for the company. Yeah. We don't have an office. We literally had nothing. And he'd just been on a lad's holiday to a, and been drinking in a bar called Whisper and he had the business card in his pocket. And he said, well, let's just call it Whisper. And that was mm. it. That was the beginning. And just for clarification for people who might not have background on like production companies, for yeah. example, was the aim to create their content for their organic platforms or was it to be able to create the content to then sell to say like a channel or something so let's remember we're talking about 2010 2011 so online social media content was nothing like it is now okay like twitter was kind of getting going but it was pretty much just updates like even photos were a tricky thing to, Mm -hmm. to put up so what it was really it was to produce content for them on behalf of their sponsors, which could then be given to TV channels, used in their marketing material, used in their motorhome, mm-hmm. just assets, basically. Okay. Um, and that's how it all started. My wife worked on Strictly Come Dancing. She was mm-hmm. a production manager. So she left her job to work on the business. She worked out of our back office. Sonal worked out of his study in his house. And it's a big, you know, it's a risk for her. She left her job. A risk was, for him. Was he she your wife job. at the time? She was my wife at the time. Yeah. Seems like less of a risk when there's the. Uh... <laughs> definitely less. Definitely less of a risk. Oh, for my her. boyfriend's starting this production <laughs> company, and I'm going to quit my job. It's definitely less of a risk yeah. for her. But but the thing, no 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 that wasn't to belittle the fact but, that it was obviously you know what it's still was, a though, significant It was the risk. fact she was walking away from her dream job, which 100%. was working on Strictly I mean, it's Come a huge Dancing. Vote of and I'm like, can you walk away from Strictly just to work on some slightly random Formula One content? Yeah. That, also, for both you know, of your your risk as a family or a unit yeah. at that time to be completely undiversified. Totally, <laughs> totally. We were we were all in at that point into yeah. this into this plan, and. What we actually found, because I think one of the great things about, you know, we've talked about doing things when you're young, one of the great things about naivety, and that would have been one of your superpowers for sure when you first started Mm. out, 
was you just thought every meeting was going to be amazing, every opportunity was going to work, it was all going to be fantastic. Yeah. Because that's how wonderful being yeah. naive is. Be naive, it's okay. Oh, I want Don't it fully educate yourself. <laughs> and we were naive, totally naive, to think that we would meet one person, get, a, get some work, and then others and others. The reality was, you win that first contract, you put all your effort into making that content, so you haven't got time to find the next mm. bit of work. So eventually we were like, we need more help with... Pitching. Pitching, meeting people, commercial contacts, all this sort of stuff. And we worked with David Coulthard, who was a Formula One driver. Mm-hmm. He'd just retired. He was working on the BBC coverage. And we said to him, would you like to be part of our company? And he actually said, what would it cost me? We hadn't even considered, we were so naive to this whole thing. We hadn't even considered that he would pay to have some of our business. We thought we'd have to convince him. Yeah, he's asking all the wrong questions. We were like, I'd be like, what are you paying me? We were like, we'd have to convince him <laughs> to have some of our business. Yeah. So then we were like, well, how the hell do we decide what it costs? So Sunil said, well, I need a new bathroom, which was 15 grand. <laughs> so Big Sun- fan of the priority. Yeah. There, the so Sunil said, well, why don't, if I can get a 15 grand, that'd be brilliant. So I said, okay, well, I'll have 15 grand as well. And we'll get, what should we give him? And Sunil was like, I don't know, 20% of the business. Like it's literally the best investment David Coulthard has ever made. Yeah, by the way. Christ alive, um, that's a that's so, a return. So he got twenty percent of Whisper for his thirty grand, and he was brilliant at. Are um, you still selling them? <laughs> um, <laughs> got, I've got something else you might want to invest in, but we can talk about that separately. Um, so we started, and and Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down so to help us we brought in a reverse auctioneer which is apparently a thing mint mobile unlimited premium wireless ready to get 30 30 ready to get 30 ready to get 20 20 20 ready to get 20 20 ready to get 15 15 15 15 just 15 bucks a month so give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch 45 dollars up front for three months plus taxes and fees promote for new customers for limited time unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows full terms at mintmobile.com i'm sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. And we got loads of commercial work and the business built up to seven or eight people. But there was still an element of being unfulfilled because we were TV people and we were still not making television. So we then thought, well, let's go and meet all these TV channels and say, come on, let's let's make your content. And this was a really, really interesting time and a lot of takeaways. You may well have experienced this as well. Certainly people listening to this might take something from it. We would meet the people that we used to work for and they were... They wouldn't commission us to produce their content, even though we'd worked with them and they were our former colleagues, because they were saying, well, you haven't got a track record of making anything. And we're like, well, Whisper hasn't, but we have. Mm. So how do we solve this dilemma? Mm. Part of it, I think, was was we were the people that had taken the risk and we were the people that by then were probably a staff of, as I say, about 10 people and maybe turning over £2 million a year, which to a lot of people like seems hugely successful, yeah. right? So there was probably an element of jealousy, and um and also kind of if if we if you were colleagues then why wouldn't it be them 
if it would, so. like if it was you yeah, yeah. if you can do that like i've done the same thing as you so why aren't they giving especially you know? like senior colleagues who would look mm. at us and go hold on you were the kid from cbbc that was presenting formula one you were just an assistant producer sure i'm an exec producer and now you're telling me that mm. you can produce my content so we had to find a way around this and i've always been actually it's a nonsense to say that i now think this i can't say i've always been because as i've mm. told you i had none, no experience yeah, yeah. in this i now realize every business is a recruitment business mm-hmm. right it's literally is the people so we thought well, let's just go and hire the best people that we can so then we come back to this whole risk taking thing and i think that i had been armed against this risk by those things that had happened when i was younger i sort of had this mindset of well what can possibly go wrong? Well, I've had mm. some stuff happen and it was kind of it was mm. kind of all right. My A-level failure led to me working in television. Mm. The death of my grandma led to an understanding that life is really precious and mm. you need to enjoy every moment. Yeah. My sacking from McDonald's led to me working in television because mm. I had the spare time rather than frying fries. I was saying, I've got loads of time, man. Yeah, can I come yeah. and work for you? So I ended up at Rapture TV. All, all of the negatives, literally all of them, had been turned into positives. So it kind of meant, well, what can go wrong? So we went to the best people that we worked with and we said, why don't you come and work for us? And again, we were like totally shocked that these people would leave ITV, BBC, Mm. Channel 4, massive production companies. They'd leave those companies and come and work with us. But we knew that if we could get those people, then we could get the job. We could Mm. win the work. Now, again, this is a slightly risky way of doing it. Most businesses go, well, if we win the work, then we'll hire the people. Mm-hmm. We had to do it the other way. We had to find yeah, another way to do it. Now. And I think one of the things I'm most proud of is that we've always found a way of doing something that nobody else has thought of mm-hmm. or isn't a very popular way of operating. Okay. Which I think is really vital. Yeah. I think, no, I think that is um, like a great origin story in the way of, like, we've obviously I've had, lots of different people on the podcast in terms of like the story of things starting up but I think that a lot of the entrepreneurship always seems like a big idea made happen rather than Mm. like a series of small ideas that kind of forms into what it ends up being which is this huge production company but actually it started from this one decision to like maybe try and get this one contract or to try and do this and by the way it's still this didn't solve the problem Mm. hiring these people was still a real challenge because what we found was instead of being told we'll never hire you. We'd go in to try and win some work and they'd say, well, you've got some good people, so we'll give you this work. And it was like the the little bit of the contract that you didn't really want to win. It, there was no value in it. It wasn't the elite stuff. And we wanted the, still to get the best stuff. And the other thing that was a bit of a challenge around this time was I was still working as a presenter. And it was important for me to make sure that my presenting was totally separate from the production company because what I didn't want was this just to become a vehicle that was successful or unsuccessful, depending on my presenting career being successful or unsuccessful. And I remember um, I got a phone call from the head of Channel 4 when they won the rights to Formula One. So just to put a timeline on this, I had, we'd set Whisper up in about 2011. I joined BT Sport at the end of 2012. And I think at the end, towards the end of 2013, the BBC lost the rights to Formula One. They went to Channel 4. So that we'd been going at Whisper maybe a couple of years. You're right, right. And the head of Channel 4 rang and said to me, I want you to come and be the host of the Channel 4 coverage on Channel 4. And I said, well, I've just signed a contract with BT Sport. I'm really loyal to them. I don't, mm. I don't feel comfortable walking away from that contract. And then they said, well, if you accept the presenting job, then oh, we could give Whisper the production work. 
Now, this is a multi-million pound contract we're talking about here. That is a, that is a juicy, juicy so, piece of work. So then I'm having to go to Sonal to tell him what happened. And he said, well, of course, you'll quit BT, present Formula One, and, and this will be, you know, us made. So then I had to say, no, like, I'm really firm in the fact that what I do is totally separate. We have to win this on merit. And I still think there are people in the industry that don't think we won this on merit. Mm. But we absolutely did. And do you know what we did? We went to all of our amazing contacts in Formula One who were working for the Beeb and who were going to be available. And we said mm. to all of them, agree to only work with us, only work with Whisper. Channel 4 were explicit. They said, we won't give you this contract. The only way we'd get it, it was if I came you with it. That. And so we were up against a few other really big production companies to win the work. And so we actually went to all of these people and said, sign this bit of paper that says you'll work with us or you'd love to work with Whisper and you'll be, we'll make you part of our big package. Mm. The truth is, they could have worked for anyone. Yeah, you can't. Right, you can't yeah, control yeah. Who, who and when people work. But the fact we'd gone and got all of these names, presented them to Channel 4, and I remember we put on the, we, we created like a beautiful colour, like booklet, and it said on there, like 500 hours or 500 years combined experience of working in formula one like we were the most experienced people yeah, yeah, yeah. we had to win it properly properly win it on merit and that yeah. was really the first big thing that we won mm. which transformed the business and that was mm. winning the rights to host and produce channel 4's coverage of formula one and now we do we still do it we recently produced the lionesses for the bbc the whole yeah. of the women's euros we're producing the Paris Paralympics for Channel 4, having just done the Paralympics previously. We work for UEFA, we work for FIFA. We, we just commissioned the daytime quiz show with Stephen Fry. We've got a chat show in America that we've done. We've got another daytime show for ITV. We, like, the business is just picking up big wins everywhere. Yeah. And it all came from naivety. It mm. all came from taking that leap of faith. And it all came from trying to find another way to solve right. the puzzle that no one else is solving in that way. Yeah, and it kind of sounds like a continuous, like one foot in front of the other and like a rerouting, like someone mm. saying, someone creating a dead end and then you being like, right, okay, well, that's not the right way to do it. Yeah. Let's go around this way. And you having that gut feeling that like, no, I'm, we're not going to get this purely through me presenting it. We're going to do this differently yeah. is like the conviction of that decision is, I mean, it's like really, really powerful and definitely um, I don't think should be understated in terms of you being really clear what you wanted from the business and what yeah. you wanted from that kind of contract if you were going to get it. What do you think the biggest mistakes you made when building that company were? You see, this is a really hard one because I can... I can talk about me making mistakes personally. One of the real challenges for Whisper is because we did it slowly, I don't, I can't think of any really big mm. mistakes that we made because I think you could argue that doing it really slowly, not taking on any investment would be a mistake. I mean, I, we also became part of something called the Channel 4 Growth Fund, mm. right? Which was where Channel 4 were looking for production companies who were small but had more potential than they were realising to grow um, and they invested in us. Now you could say that was a mistake because they paid a really small amount for their stake and they sold it for a profit, um, which was great for them. But actually I believe that Channel 4 totally transformed our business. Mm. So you can't always put the financial value of something mm. at, the, at the center of what you do. I, and I know this sounds like ridiculous, Grace, but Sunil is such a brilliant CEO the business has been so fascinating to watch it grow and 
I don't, I can't think of any big mistakes yeah. that we've made. Mm. The, the biggest thing we've done is to bring someone on board with a Formula One mindset in David mm. Coulthard because the exacting standards that he brings with him. We run ourselves like a motor racing team, mm. like an elite sports outfit. That belief that they can do anything and they just make it happen. You know, make it happen is one of the mottos of the business. And mm. we do everything we can to just make it happen. You know, we produced an amazing opening VT last year with Tom Cruise. Mm. Because we were just like, well, let's just make it happen. Let's just mm. call Tom Cruise's office and see if it can happen. And lo and behold, the next thing we know, Tom Cruise is personally calling the producer who's making the film at Whisper going, right, I've got some great ideas. Let's do this. He flies in in his own helicopter, films with us for a day and then shoots off again. Like, classic Tom. Classic Tom. <laughs> as, as I would if I was Tom Cruise. <laughs> like thinking big, investing in people, keeping culture at the heart of what you do yeah. and trying to do the right thing is, all, is also really important. I think... I just want to call out trying to do the right thing as well mm. um, because we are really, really passionate about equality. So we mm. have an almost 50% female workforce. Mm. We have women in a really high position within the business. The CEO of the business is the Asian son of a news agents in Twickenham. Those people are totally underrepresented in mm. our industry. When we produced the Paralympics, it was important for us to make sure that the um, workforce behind the camera were disabled. Mm -hmm. Traditionally, it's just been the people in front of the camera, mm. which to us felt kind of disingenuous. Yeah. We run lots of scholarships with local universities and local colleges and the local area where we're based in West London to bring people into the business who don't normally get a chance in television. Mm -hmm. We run open days where anyone can apply to come and meet us and we can try and get them into the business. And I think that what that then brings us is that real cognitive diversity, that mm. diversity of thought, mm -hmm. that different opinion rather than us trying to produce content for a certain group of people that we think they want, let's mm. get those people in and get them to produce the content that they mm. know they would want to watch. And I think if you can do what's right, then I think that can be transformational for a business mm. because actually it kind of means that whether you hit your numbers financially or you don't, to know that you're doing things in the right way actually carries a real a real value and I think other people see it. And yeah. I actually think it's hard to put a value on it Mm. But I think that's been a real game changer for us as a business that people from the outside look at it and go, oh my goodness. Yeah. They really do put their money where their mouth is. Yeah. I mean, I think that's incredibly valuable. I, as you say, I think you can tell companies that do that versus mm. companies that don't do that. And yeah. actually, lots of them say they do, right? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. And like everyone has a sustainability statement and an inclusivity statement and like an all of the like, this is what we're trying to do to, mm. you know, whatever it might be. But actually, something like a TV in particular that is incredibly hard to get into especially without any sort of kind of nepotism which we know is kind of rife in that type yeah. of industry the actual like positive moves in that way of actually like going out of your way to ensure that that's the case I mean when you're saying that from the perspective of someone who was told we don't hire people like you and from the point where actually yeah, you've got I your first two, actually it's a good point though. yeah like as in you understand how important that is because you were once put in the box of mm. actually and I'm not saying that's not to say that other people don't understand it but it's in a way of like in the same way as I want young women in the room to be able to create clothes for young women because I'm like sure it could be you know we could have an all-male board and it could be whatever it might be yeah. but actually like I know it's possible because I'm the one doing it and I know why I feel so strongly about yeah. this sports bra or whatever it might be who am I to say that I'm the only person who can 
flip that trend in terms of being the person who's making the decisions, whether it's financial, whether it's yeah. product, whatever it might be. Mm. I want to talk about high performance. You are high performance. I mean, what is there to say? <laughs> <laughs> I want to talk about the podcast, the yeah. decision to start that. Where did that come into the whole kind of production company journey? Yeah, so high performance is totally separate mm-hmm. from Whisper, right? And I think that's the other thing that I really enjoy is a bit of diversification. Mm-hmm. Um, I said I'd come on to it later. Now's probably a good time to talk about mm. it. Like when I had been at the BBC for, for mm, CBBC for eight years, so 12 years I was at the BBC, Kids Telly and Formula One. Like when I decided to leave the BBC, my contract was four more years of Formula One, World Cups, Olympics, Commonwealth Games, match of the day, match of the day two, I was hosting the one show at the time. I was working on all the big royal events for the BBC events team. Like, if you were to create the dream TV presenter contract, that was probably the contract. Mm. But when I left Rapture TV, I had a a cool boss there. And I said to him, I'm going to go to London and try and get a job um, with, with this guy who's called me from Children's BBC, see if it works out. And he said, I love that you're taking that risk. He said, just never sit in the comfy chair. And I remember those words ringing in my ears when I had this amazing job offer from the BBC, but then at the same time, an offer from BT Sport to go there and present their football coverage. And it would have been the easiest thing in the world to stay at the Beeb for another four years. But I thought, you know what? I'm not going to sit in the comfy chair. I'm going to take a risk. And it was like I was full of fear. I remember walking into an office about two or three weeks after I joined BT Sport and I'd walked away from the oldest and most famous broadcaster on the planet and I walked into a room and there were six people sitting around a desk. And that was the entirety of BT Sport. Mm. We were talking about opening titles, music, where the studio should be, what the studio should look like, what content we were going to put on. Like It was like going from the world's greatest university back to like a nursery or something. You know what I mean? You, were, <laughs> you went from the biggest yeah. and the best and the most famous to something right in its infancy. Mm. It was the single most exciting thing that mm. I've ever been involved in. Yeah. But it's about taking the risk. It's about taking that leap, doing something a little bit different. It was important for me. What pulled you towards that? Was it the fact that it was different? Was it purely that? Or was it kind of the potential that you saw from it? It was the chance to, well, the chance to present Premier League football comes around very infrequently. And as a sports presenter, Premier League and Champions League football is like, to me, it's the elite. Yeah. If you can present that, then you're in a very select band of people. Mm -hmm. I also had this impression that, I felt I needed to leave the BBC because I'd come through the ranks there. I'd come through Children's BBC to Formula One. I did feel underappreciated and mm-hmm. underloved. And I, and I felt like almost the only way to do that was to walk away and show someone else what I could do and deliver mm-hmm. my talents elsewhere. I also, we were having a baby, mm-hmm. uh, Florence, our first child. And it was around that time as well. And so there was that playing on my mind about my, if I, Sign this deal with the BBC. I'm going to be away an awful lot. Mm. It was a whole combination. Also a risk of, to change when you're about to have a yeah. It was a combination of things, baby. but the biggest pull was let's just take a chance on this. Yeah, let's just see how this goes. I think I've always been like that. I've always been someone that wants to take a risk. You know, mm. the reason why I tell you that story was because I had this belief that growing up, like I said, right at the start of this conversation, you get normal people. Mm. And I was one of those normal people. Mm -hmm. I would never, ever have made a decision like walking away from the BBC to join BT Sport at the start of my career. 
it was only the time that I spent in Formula One and with all of these amazing elite people that I got the chance to speak to them all. So I remember the first time I was in the pit lane, I was like, wow, that person's a billionaire team owner. That person's a Formula One driver. That person's a team principal. That person's a globally famous actress. Like, I often used to watch the races with Lewis Hamilton's girlfriend at the time, Nicole Scherzinger. You know, so I was around, it was just weird for me, this kid from Norfolk watching a Grand Prix in Bahrain, sitting next to Nicole Scherzinger, and then Lewis Hamilton coming in and having a chat with you. It was a strange time, kind of weird. But what I did was I used it to say to all these people, like, what's the secret? How mm. did you get to where you got to? Thinking that they would go, well, I was born into wealth, or, oh, my parents were billionaires. Mm. Oh, this was always destined for me. They'd never said that. Mm. They, talk, they talked about consistency. They talked about taking a chance and taking a risk and taking a leap of faith. And they talked about hard work. And I, I took all of those things and I always wanted to then have the kinds of conversations that we're now having on high performance. But it felt churlish to have these conversations without actually living it myself. Mm. So the inspiration to walk away from Formula One ironically came from Formula One, that those people are inherent mm. risk takers. They will take a chance. They'll do something that most people won't do. And that's really what led to us creating high performance. I wanted to have these kinds of conversations mm. and it felt like a podcast was the right platform to do it on and so that started am I right in thinking it mainly started with a lot of sports people it did so I also had this fear like this imposter syndrome thing where I was like no one's going to care what a former kids tv presenter that's done a bit of presenting on football and formula one thinks about high performance um so I'm I was at a, a talk at Norwich City Football Club and I met Damien Hughes who's my co-host as you know mm. you've met him and then I thought, maybe this guy could be the, the guy that brings the credibility to the conversation. So I just called him and I said, look, I really want to have a conversation with people about high achievement and success and failure and all these things. Would you be happy to be mm. part of that conversation? Again, imposter syndrome told me that he would say no, but he didn't. He said yes. And we started at the back end of 2019. Where the whole thing that was taking a huge shift is that in all honesty, like when we first started High Performance, it was mainly sports people because those mm. were my contacts and they were yeah. his contacts. And you know what it's like when you first start, you you don't have any evidence that this thing's going to be successful. Yeah, so mine you have was to rely on your, really. It exactly. was kind of, you know... It's you rely on your natural. black book, right? Mm. But I wanted the conversation back then to be life's about failing, faltering, slipping, getting punched in the guts, getting back up, taking a risk, getting knocked down, going again. And the reason for that is because that was my story. That's all the things that mm. I've spoken about. Yeah. It's only now three years down the line of having these conversations on high performance that I realise that none of that mm. is what success is. None of that creates more success. Getting punched in the guts and talking badly to yourself and failing and faltering just creates more of the same. Mm. So the biggest revelation for me is that my idea of what high performance is has fundamentally changed from mm. doing this podcast. You know, like, is there a higher high performance than happiness? Probably not. No. When I first started, was it even in the top 50 things that I thought were going to be important? Probably not. Mm. So it's been really good for me in that respect. Who would you say you've learned most from as a guest, obviously other than me? Obviously you were incredible. Yes. But it wouldn't feel right to sit here and regale <laughs> no, you with tales of your own stories. <laughs> I mean, Johnny Wilkinson, if people have not heard of high performance and they want to have their brains put through a washing machine, mm -hmm. listen to our conversation with Johnny Wilkinson. It is a... It's, in the, it's the conversation that changed the game for the High Performance mm. podcast. And so Johnny Wilkinson kicked the drop goal that won the Rugby World Cup for mm -hmm. England in 2003. He told us that doing the washing up is as important 
as winning the Rugby World Cup. And so we're like, well, you need to explain that. <laughs> yes, I am lost. <laughs> and he said, well, let me just break it down for you. What is playing rugby or winning the Rugby World Cup using your body to achieve a goal? What is doing the washing up using your body to achieve a goal? Why is winning the Rugby World Cup here and washing up to a, a brilliant level here? It's because society tells us mm. that winning the Rugby World Cup is more important. We were joined by Hector Bayerin on the podcast, who told us you need to live like a candle, which is exactly the same message. <laughs> he said, you need to be a candle. You need, your flame needs to burn the same. So let's say you have some really bad results with, with your business, right? Mm. Financially, you're struggling or the sales dip or something. Mm. And then equally, the next month, you have an amazing month and you break all your records. You are no less of a person for your difficult month. Mm -hmm. And you're no more of a person for your brilliant month, mm -hmm. which was a great revelation for us. Susie Ma came on the podcast and she spoke about making sure that all of your plans are infinite. So she spoke about infinite purpose. So purpose could be, I'm going to get a six pack. Well, the problem with that is you either get a six pack well, and then you lose motivation because yeah, yeah. you got it, or you don't get it and you lose motivation because you never got it. So she came on and spoke about infinite purpose, mm. finding your purpose that never ends. Mm. So originally with high performance, we were like, let's reach 10 million people mm. with the message of high performance. We've now had about 40 million downloads. Yeah. So that's, a nonsense number to have picked out. So the purpose of high performance is reach more people every single day to get them closer to their own version mm. of high performance. We were joined by Rangan Chatterjee, who spoke about Ikigai, mm. which is your reason for being. So what are you good at? What do you love doing? What does the world need? And what can generate income? Mm -hmm. If you can find something that you're good at and you love and that the world needs and that you can use it to pay your bills so you can actually do it. That is the reason for being. That is your ikigai. And the final one that I would call out is this idea of fault versus responsibility. Mm -hmm. That's a big learning for us on the podcast, that we all walk around with all kinds of things that are not our fault. Mm -hmm. Trauma from childhood, an illness that you're not expecting, like a global pandemic is probably the biggest, the most obvious example of something that's none of our fault mm. that's happened in the last few years you know a breakdown in a relationship with a partner someone cheating on you or walking out the door whatever those things are not your fault the difficult conversation we need to have with people is they're still your responsibility it's your responsibility and that finding that mindset of 100 percent responsibility mm. is a really like fascinating tenant of the high performance podcast so my mind has just been totally opened up, exploded, changed, altered. And it is no longer, and I almost like regret the title high performance. It makes mm. it sound like high wealth, high earnings, high status. It's none of those things. Mm. It's high happiness. It's high self-worth. It's talking well to yourself because everyone now is delaying their happiness mainly because of social media, the pressures from society, the kind of messaging that not on this podcast, but lots of podcasts put out there, lots of social media channels put out there. They're like, get this house and you'll be happy. And that, you could chart life, right? Do well at my GCSEs, I'll be happy. Did that, do well at my A-levels, then I'll definitely be happy. Mm. Well, if I can get my place at uni, I'll really be happy. But if I get mm. a first, I'll be delighted. Now I want my dream job. Mm. But I definitely want a promotion, then I'll be really happy. And now I can buy my first house. Well, it's a two-bed. Once I get a four-bed, I'll be delighted. Mm. Then I'll try and meet my life partner. If we get married, I'll be happy. But then I won't be really happy till we have kids. But that's kind of great. But I won't be happy till they're happy. And then I'll finally retire. Then I'll definitely really relax and be happy. And then I'll go abroad and we'll live abroad. And then I'll finally relax and be really happy. You're dead. Mm. And you realise that 
it was in all of those moments that you had to find the happiness. The happiness is in the struggle. The happiness is in the scrap. It's in the battle. It's in the fight. It's in the good days. It's in the bad days. It's in the way your coffee smells. Mm. It's in the conversation you have with your partner first thing in the morning. Even if they've got morning breath, you have to embrace that and love it <laughs> because that is the happiness. It's there all the yeah. time. And we all have to stop delaying our happiness. If I could condense all of those messages for people, then I think we've done a good job on high performance. But yeah. it's not about making money and being successful and building your wealth. Yeah, I think such important messages. And I think they're the types of things that we hear almost, not. I don't say over and over in a way to kind of do down how important they are but I think they're the messages that we need to hear probably like once or twice a week to actually mm. even ever start internalizing yeah. like we all know we're delaying happiness we all know we're you know and then we always think that we're the exception that needs to get success first because we're harder than the others and therefore we're resilient enough to delay happiness for now yeah but actually you kind of need to be constantly internalizing those messages in order to be able to actually get to a point where you're understanding that you're enjoying the journey not just the destination mm. and understanding that the goalposts are always going to move so yeah. you've got to make the goalposts different you've got to make the thing about the actual you know even getting there in the first place and by the way like i still get a thrill from things being successful like of course i still get a buzz from that it's yeah. not i'm not saying don't be thrilled as you go along i'm just 100%. saying don't not be thrilled as yeah. you go along like it's about those little wins those little things every day Part of the issue, though, I think, is we can talk like this for hours. Mm. The way the human brain obviously works is it only takes one much more toxic negative message mm. to dominate people's thoughts. So, you know, one of the big things that we talk about when we go and sort of meet groups of people and do workshops and talk about high performance is they're like, I know all this, mm. but then I just see my neighbour with a new car and I can't help but think, ah, I wish that was me. My answer to that always is if you want what someone else has got, right, whether it's their house, their car, their kids, their holiday, whatever. Like my wife's currently got FOMO because all our friends are going to go on a skiing holiday in a few weeks and we're not, right? If you want the things that they've got, you have to have everything they've got. Mm. Yeah. So that involves getting rid important. of your kids and having their kids. That involves having the little traumas that they have that you don't even see. It can often involve having the big traumas that you even know about. You can't cherry pick the best bits of everyone's lives and want that for your life. If you want what they've got, you need to be all in and have the lot and by the way, give up everything you've got. I think once you say that to someone, you want to give up your house, your kids, your job, your life, your family, your parents, for that, mm. definitely. Very few would say yes. So mm. just stop that toxic comparison of your life with other people's. Don't play the game. Mm. Don't get sucked in. Mm. It's not real. You are enough. Mm. What a good place to end. Thank you so much for coming in. That's been a real, I mean, I feel like Thanks I've just been me like talk to you for talks. <laughs> which was really actually very helpful. You're incredible. Your career has been incredible and it's been, yeah, amazing to watch for the amount of time I've kind of yeah. watched it. And um, yeah, thank so you so kind. much. You're so kind. I bet you feel like me though, that you feel like you're actually 5% of the way there. Yeah. 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 That's exciting though, right? It's yeah, all to come. Kind maybe. Of. I want some sleep. <laughs> <laughs> we all want more sleep. <laughs> Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.